0: Coming up this evening, live from New York City. Inflation slowing down a little in July compared to June. Economists explain where the next numbers may be headed. Global climate reporting rules are being proposed, but an expert tells us there's more behind the push. Elon Musk sells billions of dollars worth of Tesla shares amid uncertainty over the Twitter deal. That and much more coming up on NTD Business great to have you with us chenny wu here for ntd business former president donald trump says he declined to answer questions today during a deposition in new york it's for a long-running civil investigation by the new york attorney general democrat into trump's business dealings The investigation claims that the Trump Organization inflated the value of assets like golf courses and skyscrapers, and therefore misled tax authorities and lenders. On Truth Social, Trump said it's, quote, a continuation of the greatest witch hunt in U.S. history. He added, quote, My great company and myself are being attacked from all sides. In May, the attorney's office said it was nearing the end of its probe and that investigators had amassed substantial evidence that could support legal action. It said Trump's testimony is one of the few missing pieces. Trump has denied wrongdoing. Trump says he declined the deposition's questions at the advice of his attorney, and said he has no choice because of the unjust political and legal forces working against him. Inflation slowed down slightly in July, partly thanks to the fall in gas prices. But food prices remained high. Where's it going next? NTD's Colin Fredrickson has more.
1: The latest inflation number, 8.5% in July. This is down from 9.1% in June, which was a four-decade high. The price of food continues to climb, a trend that started in the middle of last year. And gas prices have dropped by 7.7% from the preceding month. But it's still a pretty high number. Thomas Hogan is a senior research faculty member at AIER and former chief economist at the Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs. Hogan says while some blame supply chain issues and Russia. Russia's war with Ukraine, he sees this as a monetary problem. The U.S., uh, the Federal Reserve's monetary policy has just been too expansionary. You know, rather than seeing supply problems in particular industries like we had about a year ago, we're seeing widespread price increases across the economy, and we're not seeing transitory changes like the Fed had said a year ago. We're seeing long-term persistent price increases. Hogan projects there will be high inflation for the rest of the year and only slightly lower inflation, persisting for several years. Inflation is still the main uh, main thing that everyone focuses on right now because it affects the Fed's uh, hiking interest rate hiking schedule. Charles Chi is the founder of StockPick, a video sharing app for investors. Chi says the Fed may push us into a recession, the kind that even the federal government would have to acknowledge. August CPI data are scheduled to be released on September 13th. The next Federal Reserve rate decision will be announced on September 21st. Colin Frederickson, NTD News.
0: Here to talk to NTD's Don Ma more about the CPI number is Chance Fanukin. He's the Chief Investment Officer at investment advisory firm Oxbow Advisors.
2: Chance, thanks for joining us today. So, you know, inflation came down a bit from 9.1%. Consumer price index at 8.5%, still very high though. But do you see this as a sign that inflation is starting to ease?
3: We do think inflation is going to start decelerating from here, but it's going to be at a slow pace. You might still see a couple more monthly readings of inflation above 8 percent. And then even at the end of this year, we would expect inflation to stay above 7 percent, as well as core inflation, without energy and food being involved, being above 5 percent. So. When we looked at this reading today, what we noticed was the oil price having come down helped in that regard, and that's why you saw inflation come in lower. But then you saw food prices increase by nearly 11% year over year, along with a lot of inflation in other areas. So we don't think this is nearly as much of a, a bullish thing for the equity market as what we're seeing uh, stocks react to post the uh, release of the inflation report.
2: How long are we away from the Fed's 2% target?
3: It could be a while. It, you're still looking at even second quarter of next year, you might still be at a 4 or 5% inflation rate. So maybe towards the end of 2023, but it's going to be a difficult situation for them because right now you're in a spot where they may need to pause at some point, They're likely to raise rates in September and probably again in November. But at some point, if you start to see a lot more of an economic slowdown and unemployment start increasing towards the end of this year they may have to pivot and pause on their hikes but you may still have the inflation rate at a pretty high level and it's going to put them in a difficult bind as to which one they want to promote pulling down inflation or trying to promote employment
2: so for the rest of this year chance what are some important indicators you're looking at
3: sure what we're looking at is both the Purchasing Managers Index for Manufacturers, uh, that number that gets released at the start of every month. And within that report, there's a couple of other numbers, the new orders number and the inventories number. And when you see new orders coming down and inventories going up, that's a bad sign for future economic growth. And right now, that's looking pretty shaky. The other thing we're looking at is we're tracking unemployment claims. Uh, We're curious about Uh, starting to see those numbers starting to rise and we think that could accelerate higher over the course of the next six months and that could be something that changes the tone of investors uh, view on the market where they become less worried about inflation and more worried about recession
2: i see all right just one last question chance how are you advising your clients to position their portfolios based on your outlook of the economy
3: We're telling our our clients and the way we're positioning their portfolios is to be very cautious right now, especially with the equity market at its current levels. We don't think there's much upside in stocks from here. We actually like the setup for both short and long-term treasuries. So we've been buying um, treasuries both at the short end and at the long end of the curve. And otherwise, we're keeping a pretty high ratio of cash in the portfolios because we're just not seeing the opportunities that we would like to have uh, and think this might be a time where it's best place to stay patient uh, and defensive. And if you are going to own any stocks, stick with very high quality businesses that have high profit margins, low debt, and can still generate some steady growth.
2: Great, thank you very much for your insight. Chance Finucane, Chief Investment Officer, Oxbow Advisors, thank you very much for coming on today.
3: Thank you, Don.
0: On Wall Street, markets rallied and closed much higher today. After that, inflation data we mentioned earlier. The Dow added 535 points, or 1 and 6 tenths of a percent. The SP rose 88 points, or 2 and 1 tenths of a percent. And the NASDAQ gained 361 points, or 2 and 9 tenths of a percent. A proposal for a global rule for company climate disclosures is gaining traction. The European Central Bank and big international organizations like the International Monetary Fund look to be in favor of it. It was proposed by the International Sustainability Standards Board. It's an international body based in Frankfurt that sets sustainability standards. The rules would create a global standard for companies to report their impacts on the environment such as data of a company's direct and indirect CO2 emissions. Investors would look at the data and potentially not invest in a company if they don't think the company is climate-friendly enough. The ECB and IMF say the rules should align with the European Union and U.S. regulations for easier implementation. And here to talk to NTD's Donma about the climate disclosure standards is Daniel Lakaye. He's the chief economist at hedge fund Tresses.
2: Daniel, great to see you as always. The International Sustainability Standards Board proposed a global climate impact disclosure rule. And the European Central Bank and International Monetary Fund looks to be in favor of the proposed rules. Daniel, do you think this is a good idea?
4: Well, I think that... Obviously, any measure to improve efficiency and to improve the environmental standards of business uh, can be good. But the problem of all these things is that they generate the opposite effect in numerous cases. Because what basically is happening with all these uh, excessive regulation and interventionism is that nudging investment one way or another is creating a massive underinvestment in oil and gas, in coal, in uh, rare earth, aluminum to copper, uranium. We're talking about essential things that are necessary every day in our lives. And ultimately, what the problem and that the problem that is created is that uh, the investment in mining is being penalized. So it backfires. It backfires because it generates inflationism. What all of this does actually is create bottlenecks. These things that we often hear as uh, supply chain disruptions, and what does mean for what this means for citizens is much higher prices, much more difficult access to essential goods and services.
2: So then, it seems like there's not many benefits to these rules. So, so why do these big groups insist on them?
4: Well, always. Uh, there are always good intentions. The, the, the problem is that obviously these good intentions uh, are not taken into account the negative effects that can be created. Instead of letting the market uh, decide the allocation of capital, what these measures actually do is to over-invest in or or at least promote excessive investment and bubbles in some parts of the energy spectrum and massive underinvestment in other parts. So, ultimately, it creates two negatives. because. Uh, at the end of the day, the problem is that policymakers, central planners, governments are very bad at picking winners in the uh, decisions of how to uh, undertake actions in energy. But they're even worse at picking losers. So uh, it ends up generating a massive problem. Of both supply and also of bubbles and underinvestment in areas that should be uh, seeing allocation of capital according to risk and to opportunity and not necessarily to nudging from central planets. Think about this, for example. Uh, When CO2 pricing was set up in the European Union, CO2 pricing was supposed to be a policy that would penalize the investment in coal and in fossil fuels, and incentivize the investment in renewables. So many years down the line, at least almost two decades after, what we find out is that what it has done is to massively increase the power price that consumers pay, and it has not improved the fossil fuel energy mix, accessible energy is essential for the development of a nation. And if suddenly prices go through the roof because of uh, nudging policies, what ends up happening is that the most disadvantaged are those that are, are in the middle class are in the lower middle class. Those uh, citizens have a much more difficult uh, position because their inflationary pressures are much higher.
2: It's a very serious issue. Daniel Lakai, chief economist, hedge fund Tresses, thank you for coming on today.
4: Thank you so much. Have a good day.
0: Just a few days ago, Elon Musk sold nearly 8 million shares of Tesla. That's worth almost $7 billion. He now owns only 15% of the company. One Twitter user asked him if he's done selling and he said yes. He says if Twitter forces the deal to close and some equity partners don't come through, he wants to avoid an emergency sale of Tesla stock. Another Twitter user asked him if he'd sell stock again if the Twitter deal doesn't go through. He he responded yes with no further explanation. Musk's net worth is around $250 billion, according to the Bloomberg Billionaires Index. Tesla may be looking at Canada to set up a new factory. That's according to a recent filing by the company. NTD's Colin Fredrickson has the details.
1: Tesla says it plans to engage with the Ontario government to identify opportunities for an advanced manufacturing facility. Tesla has been ramping up production, CEO Elon Musk said the company, quote, might be able to announce a new factory later this year, but we don't know what location he was referring to. Right now it has two factories in the United States and one each in Germany and China. Musk says it could ultimately have 10 to 12 gigafactories. U.S. electric vehicle makers are looking to diversify supply chains and lower their dependence on China, where most of the world's EV batteries come from. Colin Fredrickson. NTD News.
0: Chipotle Mexican Grill has agreed to a $20 million settlement over violations of New York City's worker protection laws. The company is accused of violating city scheduling and sick leave laws that went into effect in 2014 and 2017. The action affects about 13,000 workers in the city from November 2017 to late April of this year. In the settlement, hourly workers will get $50 for every week they worked during that period. Former workers must file a claim to get their share. On top of the $20 million in compensation, Chipotle will pay a $1 million civil fine to the city. A Chipotle spokesman said they're pleased to resolve these issues. He added the company has implemented a number of changes to make sure they comply with the law such as timekeeping technology. Trendy eyewear brand Warby Parker had to take a close look at its staff recently and decided to cut 63 corporate positions. The company's founders pointed to the economy, saying uncertainty is affecting how people spend their money. Apparent, uh, Americans are now paying considerably more than they were pre-pandemic for almost everything, And if something isn't a necessity, they're not buying it. Or at least not as much of it. Footwear brand Allbirds, another direct-to-consumer product, also had to lay people off. Still to come, Domino's Pizza leaving Italy, closing its remaining stores. Apparently, Italians aren't big fans of American pizza. Samsung unveils a new smartphone in a smaller size. What's special about it? That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Samsung unveiled a new smartphone today, called Galaxy Z Flip 4. It's a full smartphone, but in a smaller size. It comes with an enhanced cover screen and an improved camera system. This device, which debuted today, is the first to be shipped with Android 12i. It's a special version created by Google. The Flip 4 allows users to switch full-screen apps to pop-up windows or cut screens in half. They start at nearly 1800 bucks and come in black, beige, or gray-green. Pizza Corporation Domino's is shutting down its stores in the birthplace of pizza, Italy. It's after the local franchise holder filed for bankruptcy in early April. And today's Sean Marshall has more.
5: Domino's has been given the boot from Italy. Or actually, you could say they decided to leave. It seems Italians prefer locally made pizza over American pies. Domino's last 29 Italian branches have closed. According to Bloomberg, it borrowed heavily for plans to open 880 stores and has struggled to win over customers in the birthplace of pizza since launching there in 2015. Social media has not been easy on Domino's. One Twitter post said, Domino's has had to close all of its stores in Italy and honestly, I've never been more proud of my fellow Italians. Another said eating at Domino's in Italy is a hate crime. This tweet said apparently they didn't learn anything from Taco Bell's failed attempts in Mexico. In a report to investors, Domino's franchise holder Pizza said, we attribute the issue to the significantly increased level of competition in the food delivery market and restaurants reopening post-pandemic and consumers out and about with revenge spending. The world's largest pizza chain has more than 18,300 stores in over 90 international markets globally, most of which are run as franchisees. Total revenue for the second quarter increased by approximately $32.7 million over the same period last year. This was driven by higher supply chain revenues, but was partially offset by declines in the company's own store revenues. International franchise revenues were also up, but were more than offset by unfavorable foreign currency exchange rates. Sean Marshall NTD
0: news when money's too tight for beef let them eat chicken according to Tyson demand for chicken is surging while shoppers are passing up higher priced cuts of beef that's likely due to inflation which is at its highest level in more than 40 years it's something Kroger and Walmart have also noticed they point out customers are buying more store branded food over pricier national brands Tyson is planning to offer lower-priced cuts of beef and bigger package sizes. The company says demand for meat in general remains strong. Affordable dining is making a comeback, even for people who used to choose pricier picks. That's according to the company that owns both Applebee's and IHOP. Dine Brands says it has seen a bump in sales from households earning over $75,000 per year. At the same time, sales have dipped among households earning under $50,000 annually. Dine brand CEO suggested guests who often dine at more expensive restaurants are turning to Applebee's and IHOP because of their value options. Both restaurant chains have raised menu prices this year. Still, the company says the brands have positioned themselves as value-oriented with affordable prices. Inflation is hitting South Korea, too. It's at a 14-year high now. Convenience stores are offering cheap instant noodles, sandwiches, and meal boxes for under $5. They're gaining popularity as salaried workers seek ways to cut costs. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more.
2: Park
6: Mi Wan had never bought her lunch from a convenience store until her favorite lunch buffet recently raised prices by more than 10%.
0: I started going to convenience stores instead. I think the prices are more reasonable, and the food tastes good, too. So now I come here often, about two to three times a week.
6: The prices of restaurant dishes in South Korea rose 7.4 percent last month, compared with a year earlier, the fastest pace in 24 years, according to government statistics.
0: LUNCH TIME IS A BREAK FOR ME, BUT IF THE COST OF LUNCH GOES UP MORE, I THINK I'LL FEEL LIKE IT'S COSTING ME A LOT OF MONEY TO REST. THAT TAKES AWAY FROM THE IDEA OF GETTING A BREAK.
6: LEE Jae RUNS A GALBITANG RESTAURANT IN SEOUL'S CENTRAL DISTRICT. HE'S ALREADY RAISED PRICES TWICE THIS YEAR.
5: AS A MATTER OF FACT, I NEED TO RAISE THE PRICES EVEN HIGHER, BUT INSTEAD, I'M GIVING UP SOME OF MY PROFIT MARGIN. As I also have to consider office workers' tight budgets these days. So I raised the prices only a little, sharing the pain with them.
6: While many small restaurants are still benefiting from a rebound in evening dining after months of pandemic-induced social distancing rules, economists warn prolonged pressure on consumer prices will weigh on consumption. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: A dialysis machine inspired by orange juice dispensers allows kidney failure patients to treat themselves at home. It has won the UK's most prestigious engineering award. TD's Andrew Thomas has this one too.
6: Quanta Dialysis Technologies SC Plus System has won the Royal Academy of Engineering's McRobert Award. The machine has gotten rid of the need for complicated, time-consuming
7: cleaning between treatments. So unlike a traditional dialysis machine that can be the size of a fridge freezer. Ours is a small tabletop device, about the size of a microwave oven. Uh, This means that it's portable and easy to move around. We've designed it to be easy to use so that patients themselves can manage the therapy on their own.
6: The SC Plus system allows patients to treat themselves at home overnight, meaning they receive more dialysis than they would in a hospital. Patients also don't have to go without dialysis over the weekend.
7: Clinics are closed on Sundays, so over the weekend, there's a long gap. Patients go for up to 72 hours without any treatment. They build up fluid and toxins in their body, and the clinical and scientific literature report that those patients are more likely to show up in the hospital on Monday mornings.
6: The system replaces the traditional hardware of a dialysis machine with a disposable cartridge that manages all the fluids, and replaces the pumps with pneumatic membranes.
7: And the. Big insight that the engineers at Quanta had was this technology that had been successfully used in the beverage dispensing industry uh, might translate into the dialysis industry.
6: Quanta is already working with health providers across the U.K. and is rolling out in the U.S., where the dialysis market is expected to exceed $12 billion. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Chenny Wu. You can follow me on Twitter. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, send us an email at business@ntd.com. At That's all for today. Thanks for watching and we'll see you tomorrow.